You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Put your pencils down, because it's time for the Star Seminar. And now, here are your hosts, Rabble Rouser and Danny Fenton. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of the Star Seminar. Your co-hosts are two professors of cowboyology who have just been submitting their book orders and are working on their syllabi in anticipation of the start of a new school year. How are you, my friend, Dr. Danny Phantom? I am doing great. It's so nice to have you back, uh, you know, after uh, missing, missing you last week. Uh, doing good. I'm actually get to enjoy a nice glass of iced tea uh, because uh, our, because of our guest, uh, we're on a little bit different recording schedule uh, today, so uh, so I now get to have a nice glass of iced tea. I, I don't like to drink uh, caffeine too late in the day, so uh, that's why you know I get to I, I, I can have tea now. I don't know I don't know how you are there, but uh, when I whenever I'm trying to go to sleep, I just you know I, I have some, a couple rules I follow. Uh, one of which is I don't drink caffeine late, and the other is I have to have a I have this little sound machine that I have to have some noise, the background noise, to help me sleep. I cannot sleep in silence. Uh, so those are a couple bugaboos about me, uh, for me to get a good night's rest. Uh, what about you? Do, you? do you have any like habits or you know things that you do to help you get a, a good night of shut-eye? Oh, man, this is such a pertinent question because I'm a really bad sleeper. I don't ever get a good night of shut-eye. Oh, I'm sorry. And, um, and, so, and so as you know, um, I have been for the last four months, I'm now back home, but for the four months I was out in California uh, getting my mom's house ready for her to return. She was in a nursing facility and was doing a bunch of work around there so she could get back and, and you know, getting her a caregiver and all that sort of stuff. And so what that meant was that from like 6 a.m. until about maybe noon or one, I was working um, my job on the East Coast, meetings and stuff, all, all on Zoom. I'm lucky to have a job that's, that's remote. Um, and then I would take a quick lunch and then I would work until, I don't know, 10 or 11 at my around my mom's house trying to get stuff done. So what that meant was I was, I, I mean, for months, from Memorial Day through uh, like this this last weekend, I never got more than uh, maybe six hours sleep ever and more than five, maybe only once or twice. And so um, I, I'm okay. Like I have a strong constitution. And I can do okay without a lot of sleep. But the reality is I, I'm not a good sleeper anyway. I, um, I I have a hard time when it's too hot. I have a hard time when it's too cold. Um you know, if, if I haven't, if I've eaten too little, I wake up, I'll wake up hungry. Um, and then I, I can never, almost never get back to sleep, especially during the week on the weekend. Sometimes I can get back to sleep but in the week. I can't this morning. I woke up at like four 30, couldn't get back to sleep and, you know, have a long day. So that's pretty typical for me. I guess the, the good news is that I function reasonably well without much sleep, but, um, I know it's not good for me. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm perpetually tired and I'm, it's going to take me, you know, it's going to take me a couple months to, to, uh, recover from the effort it took to continue to do all that work when I wasn't sleeping, you know, in California. Yeah. No, you know, I, I'm glad that you're able to function on, on, you know, a little sleep. I, I'm, I feel bad that you, that you, you have trouble. I tell you what, I, I, I actually don't function if I don't get good sleep. So it's, uh, uh, but I, people, I tell you, I get so irritated. Or not irritated, but I'm jealous that people that can just like fall asleep within a room full of people that they can go to sleep instantly. Yeah. I just, I was just like, oh, I would love to have that skill. How do I acquire that skill? Can I do something to acquire that? But, um, yeah, just uh, when you can't sleep and you know, or you're just like tossing, turning, or you wake up and then just get 
thrown off and it's a, you know it can affect you know your day and then maybe you know you build up in your week so yeah no a good night's rest is very valuable and i uh definitely value that um but. yeah i mean i feel so good when i do get eight and i get eight so so rarely it's uh it's a shame yeah but listen we we could complain about how tired and old and grumpy we are but i'll tell you what let, let's look on the brighter side and Talk about what do we have on the show today, my friend? Well, we have a well-rested guest, you know, being that he, you know, is in a different part of the world. Uh, so today <laughs> we're going to have a little study group. Uh, we're going to bring out uh, one of the Mount Rushmore heads of BTB, the cool one, OCC. And we're going to get to the bottom of some of these camp narratives, some preseason expectations, you know, and whatever he feels like talking about. You know, you never know with, with, with cools. So, and uh, you know, we're all, we also get to crack our knuckles and actually dictate a hypothetical letter for one Jerry Jones. So, Ooh, that's what fun. we got going on. Well, let's get to it. All right. It is once again my succinct pleasure to welcome the guest of all guests, my good friend, one cool customer. Cool. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks a lot for having me, guys. So for those of you who don't know, uh, I, 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 can't, I have no excuse for you, but uh, Cool has a longtime writer for Blogging the Boys, one of the best football minds out there. And I think, interestingly enough, for me anyway, that's precisely because he didn't grow up with the game. So uh, he came to the game late, uh, and I think because of that, he, he always helps me see it in new ways that are outside the sort of standard American media, media packaging that we always get. And so uh, there's just years and years of startlingly original takes um, that I think in some ways were only possible because of his outsider status. So it's always terrific to talk football with you, to talk Cowboys football with you, and particularly because we have some questions about some, I don't know, some irksome threads that have been running uh, through Cowboys Twitter. And I think we need an outsider to kind of give us an, a fresh perspective on some of these. So um, without further ado, let's, let, let, let's jump into this, shall we? You're an, sure, outsi- sure. You're an outsider, OCC, just so you know, you're an outsider. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, and, that, that, and ultimately, if we're talking about outside of the standard American media packaging, that's a very good thing. Um, so last time you were with us, it was mid-March, and we were right on the right on the advent of free agency. So um, I guess the first thing I wanted to, to, to do is to get, you know, kind of, you know, start back there and say, you know, from then on, because then, of course, we had all the free agency in the draft as well as, you know, the, the subsequent um, subsequent things. What's your feeling about the offseason since that point? Well, I think like most, uh, like most Cowboys fans, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed in, in free agency. Uh, even though, uh, you know, going in, I knew that the Cowboys weren't going to be particularly active, but I would have wanted, you know, maybe one or two nice signings. Right now, who knows if any of the free agents will even make the team. It's, that's not a, not a given right now. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and the other thought I had on that was I was struck the other day when I read... Um, when I read about the jersey sales this year, and there was not a single cowboy in the top ten, which is unusual because you know usually we'll have somebody who um, who, who warrants a, a top ten uh, a ranking, and I thought to myself, you know, you in, in the NFL you also get what you pay for. Uh, you get jersey sales when you invest in high draft picks, but you also get jersey sales when you invest in name free agents, uh, and. Uh, uh, and the Cowboys haven't done that, haven't done that this year at least, uh, and, and not really in the past uh, either. But the business model to make money in the NFL is to sign big names, to have big names on your team. And if you don't have those, you're not really playing the media circus. And that's what's a little bit surprising because, uh, you know, the Joneses are all about the circus and they let that opportunity slip. It would have been easy to sign a big name guy that had the, they had the money. doesn't even matter which position. But if you're looking at jersey sales... Well, the Cowboys not there, and that's not, I don't think that's what Jerry wants. Fair enough. So let me ask you this. When you, you say you would have liked to have seen a couple of big-name free agent signings, uh, what are you talking about? So I, guess, I guess I'm trying to get a sense of what do you mean by that, because uh, you know, you've been following the team closely for a long time. They haven't, they haven't done that in 10 years. 
And so I guess my question is, when you talk about big names, are you saying you were hoping they would go outside of the, the pattern they've established or that just bigger names or diff different kinds of players than the ones they brought in? Yeah, I mean, when I say big names, I, I mean more name recognition than real big names. So there, there was no chance that they were going to get somebody for 20 million. Uh, but, you know, maybe a five or eight million free agent, some of the, the mid-tier guys uh, with some name recognition would have been uh, interesting. And, and uh, you know, the, uh, Washington, the wide receiver they signed, I didn't know who that guy was. Uh, uh, there could have been uh, others with uh, probably at a similar cost, but with a bigger name recognition. I don't know. But, you know, we, we won't get the, the mega, mega buck signings, uh, not since Brandon Carr. Or, 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 and then we got the, the other guys who were broken uh, that we got at a discount, mm -hmm. um, like Hardy or McLean or whoever they were in the past. Um, but, uh, yeah, that's, that, that's, that's where I think, you know, they could have done something. And we have the discussion about kicker. Could they have done something at kicker at a fairly low price? You know, 2 million, 3 million, you have a decent kicker. But no, they didn't go that way either. Uh, so mm -hmm. here we are. Yeah, you know, I, I just want to, I want to, I want to ask OCC a question because I think a lot of people feel the same way that he feels. Like you know, we don't need something outrageous. Just give us, you know, one of those middle level signings. But can you? I mean, when you look at this roster, I mean, are there areas where you're like, you can tell that? Yeah, I want to go. I want to see something there. I mean, where? I mean, where would you throw money at if you if you did have a you know, $8 million signing guy. I mean, is there a certain area you think that? So uh, for me, it, at the end, it always comes down. Uh, you start with your money five positions. Uh, do you have a QB? Do you have an edge rusher? Do you have a cornerback? Uh, and, uh, and do you have a tackle? And the, the, the main concern for me is that tackle. And you can have, uh, you can have a serviceable veteran to come in. I think their, their strategy of banking their entire uh, backups on on basically on rookie uh, tackles. That's a that's a that's a stretch. And I would have liked to see a, a, a good solid signing there. Um, you know, and, and maybe a, a Jeremy Parnell type. It's not a you know it's not a, a big name, but it's a solid veteran who would have provided depth. That that's one area that you know you can come in later and say you know it's very obvious if that goes wrong that that should have been addressed uh, during the season. Yeah. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Dan and I ranked the position groups uh, uh, heading into the preseason games, and um, and we ranked them 1 to 11, 11 different position groups, and uh, offensive tackle was number 11 for me. And I, one of the things yeah. I consider was the starters. I mean, I think their starters there are reasonably solid, but the backups yeah. are, are, are deeply troubling. I will say, though, part of me wonders if their strategy isn't to give the young guys as many reps as possible and to go and get who, whoever's left, because frankly, whoever's left might be just as good as a tie in Seki anyway. And so, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I so think it, that's still a possibility. You know, one of the, one of the names I've been thinking about a lot uh, during the last couple of weeks uh, is, uh, is Miles Austin. Mm. And if you think of his story, uh, I think he was three years with the team without really doing anything. Uh, and then exploded in his first season for, I don't know, 1,100, 1,200 uh, yards, pro ball, everything. So, and, and as we look also at the wide receiver group, which is in a similar position, yeah, there's a, there's a, there's a lot of guys there without names. You know, is Noah Brown the guy? Is there a Miles Austin among this team? That's something we as observers have no idea about, but the team might know uh, or the coaches might know. Now, hopefully, we have similar situations elsewhere where we have, you know, uh, unheralded guys who will come through. But we, you know, we don't, also don't have a Miles Austin every year or maybe not even every deca decade. So mm, that's a lot of hope uh, that you're trying to sell as a strategy. I think it's really interesting that you say we don't know because I think that that's probably going to be a persistent uh, thread that runs to this conversation because I do think that that's one of the the interesting things about fans and ultimately one of the frustrations of being a fan is that there, there's so much information we are not privy to. Uh, uh, yes, yes, and, yes. and this actually leads me to this question, which is one of the other sort of persistent Twitter refrains that existed when we talked back in March and it's, it's still, it still persists is um, that the Cowboys aren't even trying this year, that they're just, they're just like throwing it in the towel for 2022 and they're going for 2023. 
So what do you say to that from a different vantage point now that we, you know, now that we have gone through the whole off season, now that we're sitting here on the cusp of the, the, the preseason's final fortnight? So yeah, I, I, I dare somebody to tell that to Micah Parsons on the training field that the Cowboys are not trying hard enough. Um, I think they are. I think they, they might be, for, for us as, as fans, the frustrating thing is probably that they're caught up very much in their own, let's call it business model or, or modus operandi. Uh, where they say, this is how we do it, and we will stick to the way we do it. We believe, we believe very strongly in, in, our, in developing our own talent, developing our own people. Uh, and, and yes, we understand it's frustrating because there are no big names, um, but, uh, but, but nothing they've done this year is really surprising if you think about how they've done it in the past. Really yeah, nothing. I agree, and I, and I will say one other thing about that. I, I believe that that they have taken a look at their roster and the fact that they actually have had pretty strong, if not extremely strong drafts in 2021 and 22. And they look and say, you know what? We have a lot of young guys who are in that period in their careers where they're, they typically you know, NFL, NFL players typically make that big leap. And, and if, if they get big leaps from let's say two thirds of those guys, they are going to be a significantly better team. And yes. I think, I think yes. a significantly better team primarily on defense because that's where a lot of those young players are. And I, I get the sense that, that that's where a lot of Cowboy fans are, are, are sort of missing out on the offseason plan. Is, is I, I think that they really, this is sort of in some ways a youth movement, but it's a youth movement that's bred from looking at the fact that they had an unusually good run here of, of drafts in a row and they're they're a good young team and they want to like clear things out and let the young guys grow yeah it's 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 part of the, the model uh, uh for for better or for worse and i, I had a, a statistic the other day where i looked at uh what was it um uh, the percentage of money that went to own players on on the team within the top top 10 or top 15 players or something like that and Dallas was leading in, in paying their own guys there is almost no uh, significant money spent on on free agents there of course there you know sometimes you have a guy like Jaron Kears who gets a second contract as a as a as a veteran uh, signing but otherwise they're they're low tier free agents they brought in to supplement some of the holes uh, and and it's their it's their model uh, and uh, but it also means Again, there's a lot of hope or a lot of things that we don't see as fans that have to happen for that model to work. All those draft picks, or, or as you said, maybe two-thirds of them, have to pan out. Uh, and, and if they pan out, they're in a super strong position. But it's, uh, you know, if you, you know, if you have to talk about guys who you might not even be able to pronounce the name yet because you haven't really heard them, then it's, you know, Nashon, Nashon Wright, whatever his name is, I don't know. Uh, yeah, I hope he pans out. Um, but I don't know. Right. Yeah, you know, I have, I have a theory I want to run by you guys. And you tell me if you think this is right. You know, with all this, all this narratives about they're not trying. I feel like some fans are preparing themselves. And, and these fans are the, the, the Dak apologists to me. And, I, of course, we all love Dak Prescott. We, we know he's a great quarterback. There's, there's no slander will ever come from this fan regarding Dak Prescott. However... I think some people just are too enamored with Dak, and then they, I think they're just like looking to blame. And when they don't see the Cowboys bringing in more receiver help, and you know, and, and the tackle comment you made, I, t- I completely agree with you with on that one. But you, I, I think they're just kind of preparing themselves for, you know, the, the, for Dak maybe not to play like they expect them to play and then they're looking for excuses. And, and then of course they're going to try to blame it on the Cowboys are just tanking. And it's like, you know, this is, they want Sean Payton next year. They're not even, they're not even trying, but I, I just feel like part of it is just, they're, they're a little bit unsettled about, about Dak. And I mean, how come nobody is having this, you know, unwavering faith in him that he, he that he does have enough tools, you know, to, to, and, you know, enough arsenal and offense. I, you know, nobody's, there's no, overwhelming faith in Prescott and to me that's that bothers me and I feel like people are just kind of they're ready to defend him so and I don't know do you think that there's anything to that or am I just like on my own there well I I, I think I have a slightly different opinion but I, I I agree on the on the principle I think there's a there's a growing frustration among Cowboys fans that the team is not getting it done 
we're waiting and waiting and waiting and we always get the promise of this is the year where it's finally going to happen we've built a team that's going to be competitive and it 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 just never is and i think that's that's turning into kind of um um I don't know, even a sarcastic, ironic attitude towards the team. And, and you feel that more and more as you look across all sorts of social media outlets. There's a, there's a growing sense of frustration among the fan base about, about the team because it, it feels like every time they could do something, they don't. Or you know, they, they always fall short. And it's, and it's not like... Um, the things we're talking about, everybody's talking about, and it's not like they're surprising, and it always comes back to the same kind of stuff, and and people are growing weary of that. And and yes, of course, I am I am of course a DAC apologist, uh, so uh, I I, uh, I I belong in that camp. Uh, but at the same time, I understand the point where you say, you know, DAC is in his what in his seventh year now. Uh, if uh, if at the end of his contract, at the latest. It, it, the team hasn't won anything, it will be time to move on from him too. Yeah. He's not going to be 36 year old in Dallas without, uh, you know, winning significant uh, uh, playoff games. Seven years. They're, they're, they're flirting with wasting his career, just like they wasted. Yes. Aren't they? Yes. Again, again. Yeah. So I want to shift gears now from the off season to what we've just been uh, basically watching in terms of uh, Cowboys, which is training camp. Um, You know, you have been to many a Cowboys training camp and I've obviously been with you to many of them over the years. What did you learn to look for at camp, if anything? And, and was there anything that more casual camp attendees get wrong about what they are seeing or what they should be looking for at, at a training camp practice? Yeah. Uh, so one of the things that uh, particularly struck me this this uh, this off season or this this training camp is uh, you got to know who to look at in camp. Uh, it, it doesn't make sense to look at players sixty through ninety or sixty through eighty five or whatever the number currently is. And I was I was struck by the I didn't watch the preseason game because it was in the in the middle of the night for me. Um, uh, actually, I was on a plane while the while the game happened. Um, uh, but I was struck by how much frustration that first preseason game caused uh, uh, for, for Cowboys fans. And I was thinking they were watching players, most of whom will not make the team, uh, you know, perform on a, on, a, on a field. And just a few days later, we, uh, f- a few days before, we had had the joint practice with the Broncos, where we saw all the starters, or at least we read about what some of the starters did during that during that episode unfortunately the reality is you saw you saw a game of backups you did not see the padded practice of the starters and uh, and that's where a, a, a information uh, imbalance is happening we're seeing stuff that's not representative of what the team will be uh, in in four or six weeks time uh, i i really tried to go back and read all the reports i could find about that joint practice from broncos and there just weren't that many. Uh, there were a few where they said, you know, uh, Micah is great. Uh, oh, and CD and Dak connected well, and uh, uh, oh, and something about the tackles, and that was it. So that's your typical article with three or four bullet points. So uh, we're we're not getting the full picture of what's going on in camp. And also, as as you sit sit there in training camp and stuff is going on you so quickly lose count of who's where and which number and which player is that and who's 45 and who's 47. I remember, you know, sitting in camp with a, with a roster sheet and trying to figure out which player was which and who was on the field right now, second team, the third team, the starters. Uh, so it gets very, it's, it's, a, it's an information overload almost. Uh, and, uh, and then you see a game on TV and it's, it's the wrong guys playing uh, and, and you, you, you uh, draw conclusions from that that are, that are just not valid. A hundred percent. And we're going to get, I do want to talk more about the, the game and, and some of the things you were just sort of gesturing toward about the game. But before we do, I, one of the things that it struck me, struck me and, it, you know, and I think it has a lot to do with just the way that the NFL and practices have changed is that when I first started watching the NFL, it was, it was when the, the, the uh, Bob Greasy and Larry Zonka um, <laughs> Miami Dolphins were, were a yeah. good team, right? So yeah. this was in the early to mid seventies. That's when I first became aware of the NFL. And I, you know, I was a, a young sports fan. I would pour over the sports page every day. And that was the, that was in the era where 
there were six preseason games every year. And the starters, i.e. Greasy and the, the Greasies and Zonkas of the world would play in all six because they had to get in shape. They weren't, there was no off-season program other than basically drinking beers and chasing babes on the beach. And so, um, you know, that was really, it was really neat, needed. And so uh, obviously the pendulum has swung in completely opposite direction. Now the whole point of, of preseason is not to play your guys. And in fact, there, there's, so, there's almost no tackling in camp. And it used to be that there would be tackling two, twice, a, twice a day oftentimes. And so because there's no tackling in camp, the substitute for tackling in camp is actually the preseason games. So in, in some ways, like they really can't have those violent camp practices that we even saw in the Parcells era. You know, if you, if you, yeah. were, if you saw training camp um, in the Parcells era, the goal line drill was incredible. The earth shook. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was like, you know, the, 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 the stamp, stampede of elephants uh, versus the stampede of rhinos. It was incredible. And um, and we don't see that anymore. We you know it's mostly just drills and and there's a little bit of light contact, but there's almost no tackling to the ground if if any. And if so, it's always it's always as you said, like the guys who are the bottom of the roster who they can afford to lose. And so um, we've totally lost sight of of I think what the purpose of that final of those preseason games are for, and what and what sort of function in the in the sort of arc of the NFL offseason they've they've replaced, which is those preseason games. Um, mm-hmm. Or not even those preseason games. I'm sorry. No, uh, those camp practices where people used to tackle. And so yeah. um, we've accelerated our, our expectations for what this what this game can mean. When in fact the NFL teams have decelerated it so so significantly that it's really just a glorified. I mean, it's not even it's not even. I wouldn't even say it's it's, it's as elevated as the blue white scrimmage used to be, but it's comparable in the sense that you know you don't want to play your starters. It's an opportunity for, you know, the guys who aren't going to make the roster to get some reps. Uh, so let's let, let's let's shift let's shift to to the actual preseason game. So the Cowboys lost their first preseason game. You were sound asleep. Lucky you, seventeen to seven to the Broncos. Um, and we're hearing a lot of consternation. There's a lot of hand wringing about the way the Cowboys played, particularly the uh, the penalties, but a bunch about that the way the the yeah. backs yeah. played, et cetera, et cetera. So what are your, what's, what's your take on this? I mean, I'm not going to ask you so much about your take on the game because you were lucky enough to miss it. Um, <laughs> but I would love to hear your, your take on the sort of like on the reaction to the game in, uh, in Cowboys land. Okay. So uh, the, the penalties obviously are an issue, uh, but it, it links up nicely with, uh, with a point you made. Uh, and I read the other day that uh, training camp used to be 30 padded practices. Today it's six or seven padded practices. And people are just getting, you know, their, their feet wet in, in these scrim- glorified scrimmages. Mm-hmm. Mistakes happen. You have a bunch of players who may not have played an NFL snap in their life. Yes, other teams manage it better, but I wouldn't get overly excited about the penalty uh, issues. Wait for the starters to come and see whether that's, uh, that's an issue. What I do think is it, it shows on a couple of key positions that we might still have issues. If you're... If you're uh, Nominally, the number one backup QB has a terrible day. You should be concerned. Yeah, Cooper Rush, you know, maybe lost his number one tier. Maybe he never was the number one behind Dak. Maybe he's uh, behind Greer. I don't know. We don't know. Uh, but if if some of the key uh, guys who you're hoping will be key backups uh, don't perform in these games, then I, I tend to get concerned. I was concerned about Cooper Rush anyway. I think that uh, that Minnesota game last year was a fluke. Uh, remember, we released him. He went to the Giants. They released him, and only then did he eventually find his way back. That's not the um, that's not the Sevilla of a successful backup QB in in any way. Um, so, but that's an area of concern. Some of the young guys, okay, they get burned. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they almost had an interception. Then they did. It, uh, I wouldn't get overly worked up, but where you see some of the positions not working well at all, that's where I would get concerned. And and uh, tackle was an issue. Uh, the the QB was an issue. Ben DiNucci then came in, and it was uh, you know, the second half of the first preseason game is almost meaningless. So I wouldn't overrate his performance either. Um, uh, those were the the things that stood out to me from you know observing from eight thousand miles away. So I, I think you may have already answered this question, but should we ever be concerned about any outcome from a preseason game? 
No, uh, no, I, I wouldn't uh, at all. I think, again, I think it's, it's about uh, looking at, at players in specific uh, situations, and, uh, and they are, a much better way to do that is in the scripted practices. I was really, uh, I, I liked hearing that they had, they went into the, I think it was a charges practice with 74 scripted plays. That's exactly what you should do. Uh, and, and against a live opponent just adds an extra component. Then you go back, you watch the film, you understand what's going on. I think, uh, so, so there's two schools of thoughts, I think. There's a, the Ravens school of thought who think they need to win every preseason game. Okay, I, I understand why they think that. But I'm more in the school of, you know, try to, try to mess up every single preseason game because the opportunity for learning is bigger. If you have, if you have this, 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 uh, this, let's say, this penalty issue in all four preseason games, I bet you the team will be highly motivated to fix it. If they had just gone along with you know, eight penalties and business as usual and won the game, the urgency to do something about it might not have been there. So I'm, I, I like the idea more of getting clobbered in preseason, but then being ready uh, for the season than you know, coasting through preseason because you're playing your better guys, winning and and then sitting in the real season and, and, you know, having to start all over again. But I guess that's just a philosophical uh, point. Yeah. And so, you know, you, you've talked a lot about like what we, we shouldn't get worked up about, what we shouldn't care about. And, and, and you touched on this already a little bit just now, but I really want to try to dial in to, for us fans to like really understand like what are the important things that you know we should be watching when we when we're watching the preseason. I mean, is, are there any things that that we can learn and we want to see on the field during these games? So w- one of the things that interests me the most in preseason is trying to figure out who are the guys that eventually make the team, uh, who are the first team players and who are the second team players. So I, I traditionally, when I watch a game, I, I keep a chart handy. To, to write down the numbers of the guys who do the first two, maybe three series uh, to understand, okay, who has a leg up in, in, the, in the camp competition, just to understand who the starters are. Um, then I would like to see, um, so I would focus in on the, on the spots where I, I think I see a weakness to understand whether it's a real weakness or not. I'm not so much concerned, you know, if, if well, in, in the past, Dak or the starting QB would have a, a series or two that might be over uh, this year. Dak might not play a single preseason snap, but he wouldn't be the one I would focus on anyway. I would focus on the, you know, the fourth or fifth wide receiver. Is he working? You know, what about the backup tackles? Uh, you know, do we have depth at corner? I'm really not concerned about how the starters play outside of figuring out who the starters is going to be. But then watching, are there some young, interesting guys, which they usually are, that's undrafted or, or late-round rookies who are fighting for the last spots, and is there, is there some interesting stuff there? Like this year, for example, I'm hearing a, a, a lot of good things about um, uh, Darren Bland, the, the, the cornerback. It seems to be uh, you know, a, a nice find. Uh, Bell, the safety, I think we already knew coming in that he might be a good guy, so it's not that big a surprise. Houston, the uh, the wide receiver, is a guy that's uh, that that you know appears on the cusp of doing things. But the, the, the uh, and one other thing that I find very interesting is, I think that uh, Leighton Vanderesh might be having a uh, might be poised for a really good season from from what we're hearing. So it's those kind of stories about not not just fringe players, but I know what to expect of the stars. I know what I expect from Elliott, from from Lamb, from Prescott, Parsons, but the difference uh, at the end of the season will be the fringe players and can they step up when they're called upon? And that's, that's the interesting part for me. Yeah. Rabs, is there anything when you're watching preseason like that you focus in on and, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It was interesting listening to OCC talk about um, 
talking about like the starters and, and those kind of things, because it reminded me of one of the things that I do try to watch for in training camp. And I think maybe it used to do this as well, OCC, which is I, I paid special attention to the, um, the special teams periods, particularly when mm-hmm. they were doing the, the punt and kick coverage teams, because that usually gave you a lot of information about guys. They were, um, they were at least auditioning for significant roles on the team. And so if you, if you, you, you know, you take a look at who the starters were, especially if they were just doing a, a walkthrough where they weren't, you know, that wasn't a lot of contact, they would, they would give you a pretty clear indication of who the first, second, and third teams were. And you could learn a lot from that. Like sometimes you'd see somebody who you didn't see particularly like flashing during, you know, one-on-one drills or during seven on seven, but they would be on this, like they would have a prominent role on the second team punt team. And you think, huh, okay, this is a guy who has a chance. And then oftentimes that guy would make the team. Um, so yeah. I think that I think that could be really, really instructive, and you want to do the same thing during during preseason games. I think too. If I'm if I rewatch this game, which I'm very very highly unlikely to do, but if I do, I think what I'll do is is pay special attention to the to the special teams moments because if we want to know who players 45 through 53 are going to be, uh, we'll, we'll we'll get some answers about that when we look at when we look at those. Yeah. Teams. The 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 other thing I like to do is uh, this is a, an old uh, old idiom, uh, but it's proven very effective for me. Is when you watch preseason games, don't watch the ball. Mm-hmm. What you want to do is you want to, or what I like to do is I, I like to focus on one guy uh, because it's too much to watch all uh, eleven guys at, at once. One guy and watch him for five or six snaps. And I think then you get a good understanding of, you know, is this guy good enough, bad enough? How often does he get beat? Especially, you know, if we're talking about linemen, uh, for example, defensive tackles, look for, at them specifically for five or six plays. And I, I found that usually I get a pretty good idea of, of uh, how good they are. Then I focus on the next guy and the next guy. Because what happens with the ball, nobody is really interested. But watch a player in his position for a couple of snaps and you usually get a good idea of, you know, is he passable or not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can, you yeah. can like, the, even an offensive guard, you can see the athleticism or yeah. lack thereof. Yeah. If you, if you watch him play after play. And that's actually, you know, we were saying earlier that one of the things I appreciate so much about talking football with you is, is it, 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 the conversation exists outside this kind of standard of media, American media packaging. And that's actually one of the, the things that I'm talking about is the way in which the entire broadcast is focused on the ball. And what that mm-hmm. does is it, it, it creates a sense of chaos, but that, but, but that chaos breeds a sense of unknowing. So we actually don't have an opportunity to really focus in. Like that's not the way that the broadcast is set up. You have to go outside the broadcast and really spend a lot of extra time to, to get that kind of information. Or you have to be very disciplined in the way you, you watch the broadcast, which is you know a little bit harder during a regular season game where Place oh yeah, when he, when emotions run high, yeah. I, I cannot do that uh, thing during the regular season because then I want to win. I want you know push the ball forward. But uh, the preseason game, they're so boring to be honest. You know, you get. I think it's much more interesting when you focus on a, a couple of positions, look at them. You, I, it's more rewarding for me than watching the game to to win. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's. I mean, that's very well said. I mean, uh, I I admit that I have I've watched the game three and a half times and I do exactly mm-hmm. as you described. I focus in, you know, first it was like ball and Tyler Smith are right next to each other. So that made it really easy to, to, to watch those guys play. But uh, yeah, you'll focus in on, you know, somebody on offense, focus on defense and you just kind of redo it. And you do, you do, you get a real sense of how quick they get off the ball, you know, where they put in their hands and how, how like Duran Bland, you know, you mentioned, I mean, he was doing a good job closing, you know, and you get, you just get, you're able to see, some of the details, you know, of how these uh, players performed in, individually, and that's that to me is what I look for in preseason. Um, I don't really know always what the Cowboys are trying to do as far as like when their game plan and what they're trying to accomplish with you know each series. Uh, but so all I all I can do is just focus on the individual players and just see you know how you know how they're moving, how's their footwork is you know is the ball getting you know is he getting wide and you know things like that, and so. That to me is, I mean, it's, I probably won't watch the remaining preseason games is so detailed, but this is the first one. And it's like, we haven't had football in forever. So to yeah, me, of course, of course. To me, it was yeah. like, I was just, you know, I, I found myself, well, I'm going to watch it again. And then I'm going to, you know, this time <laughs> yeah. I'm going to watch yeah. these two players and stuff. And, um, but yeah, so I know, I think that's, that's really great. Uh, I, I, you know, and you mentioned this already, you know, you talked a lot, a lot about um, some, some concerning areas. I mean, are there any 
parts in, I mean, preseason hasn't shown us much, but are there any areas that you're like gravely concerned from what you've seen? Uh, you, you know, you kind of mentioned offensive tackle. That, that's where it is for me. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you feel differently about it. Do you, are you, are you worried a great deal about any one particular position group? So I am, I am worried, especially about the offensive tackle. We know that Tyron Smith is not going to last uh, the season, or it's almost a given. Anyway, he'll, he'll be injured at some point. Uh, and then, you know, who steps up? And, and, and my, uh, the even bigger concern is because they don't have clarity on the offense tackle, they'll start reshuffling the line and, you know, move uh, uh, the right guard out to right tackle and move Steele over to the left. And, and, and then, it, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm super concerned about that. So I would, th- that's my main concern. I have the, as I said, I have the hope, at least at, at wide receiver, that some of the young guys might step up. Um, it's not an unreasonable hope, still hope. Um, uh, so I'm not so concerned there. I'm, I'm zero, I have zero concern about kicker because, hey, if the kickers don't work, we'll find the next one. It's not a big deal. Uh, we're making this up to be, a, you know, a huge thing. Uh, you know, we change kickers midseason all the time. We, you'll just find the next one if the old one doesn't perform. It's not a big deal. So that's, that I'm not concerned about. Uh, uh, I am concerned, and this is one that's, that's been a constant uh, for the Cowboys, I am concerned about backup QB. Uh, I think they have, uh, over the past uh, decade or decade and a half, they've had two good ones, uh, Kitna uh, and Dalton. And I think that's what you want in a, in, a, in, a, in a backup QB. You want a veteran guy who can come in and win two or three games for you while the starter is out. Um, but you can't put that on the shoulders of, of essentially rookies. Um, as, so if that <laughs> if that gets hurt, the season is is almost done. Yeah, and and that's not a risk you want to take. And I'd rather invest I don't know four, five, six million in a in a in a journeyman uh, QB who can win you a game or two, than uh, try to save those bucks uh, because you you know well you may have a developmental talent. And yes, I know the story of Tony Romo, and and it's a fantastic story, but it's one that's unlikely to repeat. Yeah, so. Get a get a veteran journeyman, get Fitzgerald in. You know, uh, convince him to come in for another <laughs> last season. I don't know, uh, but so those are my my areas of concern. Yeah, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's interesting you say that because I mean, honestly, my 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 thought would have been like probably not agree with that take like last year because um, I figure like if Dak goes down, we're done. I mean, I mean, what's the point? I mean, it's great to have somebody for a couple, two, three games. Um, but any, any extended period of time, let's be realistic. That's not going to make a difference. However, uh, the Cowboys actually have a pretty good defense, you know, and they actually can, can win. I, I mean, I could see us coming in with a Fitzgerald and, and, and winning some games. And so it's a little different now. So I, I'm definitely, I definitely agree there. And I definitely, I, I'm concerned too. I mean, we only saw a little bit of rush. He didn't look very sharp. Um, I'll give him his props from last year. He, you know what? He was solid, and he came in and, and he played well in that, in that game against Minnesota. But I don't know, and I haven't seen Will Greer, so I don't know. But um, if things don't get better from what we saw, you know, um, in the first game, like a little bit better, I, I, I agree. I think there's there's a legitimate concern at uh, at quarterback. Rabs, you know, I know you've already said, you know, kind of expressed how you feel about what you're concerned about. I mean, but you got anything at all that worries you? Not really, not yet. I mean, yes, I, I, I think that the thing that OCC was pointing out in terms of the lack of tackle depth and the fact that it's almost inevitable that Tyron Smith misses multiple games is concerning. Um, I, I sort of feel like, however, that, as I said earlier in this conversation, that their plan is to give the young guys, and, and it's too bad that what happened to Willetsko because I think they would have given him a lot of reps. I think they, their plan is to spend the offseason giving reps to the young guys and then bring a veteran in because I think they feel like whoever's on the street right now is not significantly different than who they would have gotten had they tried to bring a veteran in in March um, and maybe even cheaper now and uh, and certainly more well-rested, et cetera. So I think that, I mean, I, I, I believe that's their plan. The alternative is, and, and Dan, you had a tweet that a lot of people I know have, have referenced you had a, a tweet about the different options at tackle and one of the options that you put out there is the, which is, I think also a certainly a very, a very um, 
high, high there's a high likelihood that this is going to be their plan was that um, uh, Tyson Smith. Don't even start with that. <laughs> What's his name again? I'm not editing it, editing it again for you, Rab. So. Uh, <laughs> so Smith, their first round draft pick. Oh, you were really but, asking? Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I thought you were making a joke about Tyler Smith. Tyler Smith, thank you. No, no, I can never remember his name. <laughs> uh, so, so uh, I think the plan is that Tyler Smith is going to to. Uh, to, he'll sort of swing out to right uh, to left tackle, particularly if if Tyron Smith misses any number of games. Um, if it's maybe if it's for a game or two, they probably won't reshuffle. But it, like let's say let's say something happens where it's very clear that um, veteran Smith is going to miss some time. I think they'll they'll swing they'll they'll, yeah. they'll take rookie Smith you know, out there. In which in which case, then the question really for us is: Is Connor McGovern a better left guard than whoever the veteran on the street is a left tackle? Yeah. Right. And so um, I think probably right now they, they believe that may be the case. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and for the record, for anybody that doesn't understand my my demeanor and on Twitter, but th that wasn't actually a, a list of suggestions, but more of a, a, a lick, a list of, I mean, just to show the lack of answers that the Cowboys really, mm -hmm. th this is, mm -hmm. this is what we'll have to deal with. These are the options. Um, if, if something like that happened, and I, I fully expected them to sign a, a veteran left, you know, veteran swing tackle by now, and maybe, and maybe they still will. I mean, they have time, but I am a little unnerved about about that situation. Um, so I don't know. Um, but I have one last thing, and this was actually inspired by our special guest today. So, uh, so <laughs> we. I want to know. So, if if you wrote a letter to Jerry Jones after the 2002 season, and you began with, "I hate to say, I told you so, Jerry," what do you think it would read? So, OCC, you have your letter. All right, just let us have it. What what would you tell Jerry? Okay, the the first thing I would tell him, and I'm I'm trying uh, I'm trying my hand at a little bit of prophecy now. The first thing I would tell him is. You should have signed Tony Pollard and Dalton Schultz while you had the time. Uh, I'm not very certain that either of these players will be in Dallas next year. Mm -hmm. And I think we missed a chance uh, to sign Pollard for certain to a cheap contract. Uh, once he hits the, the free market, I think people are going to pay him a really, really good contract that the Cowboys won't be able to match because they won't, can't pay Elliott and Pollard. And I think Dalton Schultz, he's going to, if he has the year that everybody's kind of expecting or hoping for, he's going to command top dollar. And uh, the Cowboys this year tried to, you know, shortchange him. Uh, then David Njoku got his contract. Uh, uh, Dalton Schultz is going to cost in excess of 15, maybe $17 million next year in a contract. And that might be too big for the Cowboys. They could have had him for that, for a lower number this year if they had acted quickly. First point. Second point, you should have done, despite what, what Rams just said, uh, you should have done something at offensive tackle. I think the moving Tyler Smith to the left as the, as the emergency option, you know, banking everything on a rookie. Yes, he's a first-round rookie, but I, that's a big risk uh, that you're, you're asking. Uh, and, and going with that, I think I would have said you should have made sure that you provided better protection and weapons for Dak Prescott. You're paying the man $40 million. He is going, He's going to be the, the key to the entire season. Have you done everything to ensure that he's successful? The Cowboys have this, um, or the Joneses maybe, have this thing where they think if they pay a guy, uh, you know, a a huge contract, he is going to perform even better than he has done before. That's not going to happen. We know what we have in Dak Prescott. He's not Aaron Rodgers. He's not a bad QB by, by, any, by any measure. Uh, he's a good, solid QB, but he needs people around him. And if he doesn't have that, he's going to, to fail like every other QB in the league. Just because we're paying him $40 million doesn't make him a better QB. Um, and that's sometimes something, I think that Jones did the same thing with Romo. When they gave him his 100 million contract at the time, they thought, okay, uh, we just bought ourselves a superhero who's going to do it all by himself. 
And I think we're going down that stretch again. So that would be my third point. You should have should have made, should have done everything to ensure Dak is successful, because you know we might get lucky and the defense saves the day, but that's not the plan with this team. We're offense, 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 uh, and and lucky to be anything on defense. So those would be my probably my three points. Plus, show more cheerleaders. Always a good idea. Man, okay. So, <laughs> Cools, you know, there's a lot, a lot of paper that used there. Uh, we're going to have to put two stamps on that one. Uh, so, <laughs> Rabs, we're going to put yours through priority, priority mail since you're, you know, so important. What, what do you, what would you, your letter say? It's just very one, one simple thing, which is that, um, and I think, I think OCC, you and I have talked about this before. How the the Joneses fluctuate in terms of their offseason plan. In, in many respects, in, re, in, re, in, re, in response, that's the word I'm looking for, in response to how the previous season has gone. So when they have a good season, they make the playoffs, I think that they tend to be like, all right, we got a great team, we don't have to do anything. And then they have a bad season, they're shocked into uh, or out of their complacency. There's a sense of urgency, a sense of purpose to their offseason. It's, it's not like, as, as you said earlier in the conversation, cool, it's not like they're going to go out and get a bunch of $20 million free agents. But it just feels like they're trying a little harder. They're embarrassed. They've been publicly ashamed, and they try a little harder. And what I want is for Jerry Jones and Stephen Jones to treat every offseason like the Cowboys just finished 4-13. and 13. I think if they did that, they would build on good teams. Um, and I think that that's part of what is frustrating um, Cowboys fans is um, it doesn't – like, it doesn't feel to – to many Cowboy, Cowboys fans that the team was as good as it was last year because of the way the season ended. And so I think that the, the feeling is we need to do a lot to get this team back back up. And it feels like the Joneses are like, what are you talking about? We won 12 games or whatever many games they won. And um, and so we're good. All we got to do is just, just let it ride. And so I, I, it seems like every time they do that, Jerry gets a little complacent. He, he, he spends a little bit of time looking for people to, to, to pat him on the back and they end up having a, you know, they end up having a dip. And that's one of the, one of the reasons I feel like the Cowboys have been so inconsistent year, year to year. I mean, the league demands inconsistency year to year and it's built to, to ensure inconsistency, but Jones doesn't do anything to combat that. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you've heard, you've heard me say this before and, I actually don't have a lot of issues with the Cowboys front office, and I, I like their approach. I, I think that you know they do believe in the guys they have, and you, you talked about how these you know, younger picks from the last couple drafts, they, you know they're going to start to, to you know take steps forward, and so I'm I'm, gl- I'm glad they don't panic, and I'm glad they don't overreact and do things, and I, I, I support them there. Uh, but if I if I were to say anything negative, and you know, you know Jerry opens a letter, you know after a disappointing yet another disappointing finish for the Cowboys it would be I told you that McCarthy guy was not the right head coach Um, (laughs) so that's what my letter would say and it would say in in a big print hire Dan Quinn and uh, because I don't know I I feel like the Cowboys you know they'll statistically they'll probably not win the Super Bowl they'll probably I I think they're going to make the playoffs they I mean I do think they got one team in their division that's going to give them a little bit of trouble uh, but I I think they'll they'll have a they'll make the playoffs and you know statistically they'll 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 lose and then when that happens they need they need to explain themselves and I think uh, I think if it could be you know could be because they don't have the best head coach in the league you know and I, it could be some, Mike McCarthy could do something silly he he's done he's done some silly things and I don't think necessarily that he's the right guy but you know what who who knows I'm definitely pulling for the guy but that's that's what my letter would say goodbye good riddance. MM. So, would your letter just basically be a picture of Mike McCarthy at his fattest, with like a, with like scrawlings <laughs> over the eyebrows or something? Or <laughs> I don't think I would go that far. I don't want you know. I'd, uh, I'm sure Jerry gets a lot of letters like that already. Uh, <laughs> so um, no, I mean, I just yeah, it's I think McCarthy is the is the one piece of the Cowboys that I I'm not. I mean, I don't, I don't loathe the guy. I mean, he's 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 better than you know a handful of coaches in the league, but I don't necessarily like him too. And uh, that that's I I don't have a lot of problems with the Cowboys. I guess you know it's almost a little bit nitpicky. If mm-hmm. unless they just completely you know wet themselves with this swing tackle situation, um, 
I feel good about this team. Uh, but if I'm going to pick, um, I don't really care a whole lot about their head coach. I think he's, I like their defensive coordinator better. I think he, I think he's more inspiring than. So let me, let me ask you this. When was, and this is a question for both of you. When was the last time you, you, they had a head coach that inspired you? Well, you don't want to ask me that. Ourselves. And, and to be honest, I think I was on the Jason Garrett train for a while. I liked I liked uh, I liked what he brought at the time his first two or three years um, so much so that to this day I keep talking also to my team at work about the process and, and stuff like that <laughs> yeah. um, uh, but uh, he I think he wore out his welcome but um, uh, Parcells was the one that uh, you know really brought not just a sense of urgency but but questioned everything and I think that's that builds to the point that you were making, Danny, about um, uh, about McCarthy. I'm not feeling the sense of urgency, the sense of we need, uh, are we doing the best we can to win every day? Uh, that type of uh, mentality that, that, you know, Parcells had, you know, there's no, that's what I'm missing. So Parcells would be my go-to guy to say that was the last time that I really felt something was was possible. He also didn't deliver in the end, if you if you look at the results, but at least it was possible. Yeah, I, I, yeah, he, he basically rode one miraculous year in 2003 and then and never really, I mean, they made the playoffs in, in his final year, but, you know, not, they weren't great. They, they sort of squeaked in as a wild card. And uh, I mean, they were never really, they were, they were better. He, he left the roster in, in good shape. Um, yeah, one thing. And I, and I, I'm, I'm with you on Jason Garrett, I felt like, but I feel like in some ways we were mesmerized by Jason Garrett largely because we compared him to his predecessor who was yeah. arguably the biggest doofus the Cowboys have ever had as head coach. I, I think he, he rivals Dave Campo in the sort of, you know, the, the, on the doofus meter. Switzer, um, he's got to be mentioned if you're talking about doofus. Switzer, was, Switzer for many years was a really good coach. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I know he wasn't as good a coach. Really um, good college coach. In his, in, his last, in his last years. I'll take Switzer over a lot of the other guys they had. I would. But, but so I guess the question then becomes, why do we have this litany of coaches like this? And so you were saying you don't have any problems with the front office, Dan. And I will say this team will always be held back because the ownership will never, uh, unless they absolutely, absolutely have to, to save the franchise, hire a coach who will question where they do things because to them, they want a coach that's going to make things comfortable yeah. more than anything else. Yeah, that- and so McCarthy comes in and makes things comfortable. Garrett made things comfortable. Obviously, Wade Phillips is not capable of rocking any boat. Um, and they were miserable when Parcells was here. Yeah, and that's why Parcells is the right answer because, I mean, like you said, I mean, it, you, you knew it was his team. Um, and one thing, too, that you, we got to give Parcells props for is, you know, he had, with his experience and everything, he had really good assistant coaches. And I think that's the thing that really, that I would have loved to get Jason Garrett to have the same opportunities. Like, I think Mark McCarthy is in a great situation. I mean, uh, if he, he's got, the Cowboys have a, a lot of good coaches on this football team. You know, if you look at, you know, you know Joe Witt. You know, and just breaking down. You know, it goes more than just Quinn and, and Kellen Moore. And and uh, but uh, and so I, I feel like Garrett. You know, he he went through a, a bunch of cycles. It's not it's not to say he didn't have, but and when he did, the Cowboys were actually pretty good. So, uh, but that's that's the thing. If McCarthy cannot string this together with what he's got, that just and they're still making mistakes. And with some of the 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 way that the Cowboys approach it, like with with OCC was saying, with our, the the sense of urgency, and then you know, come out there and and taking penalties serious and not blaming officiating and stuff. I mean, if they don't do that, then then what is he good for? So, uh, but yeah, I mean, definitely Parcells. I I agree there, but I I do. I have I have a, a, a kind of a trivia question for you, building on this uh, Parcells theme, and you just mentioned the uh, the assistant coaches. So my question to you is, how many of Parcells' assistant coaches during his time in Dallas went on to become NFL head coaches? All right, let's let, let's think about this. We got we got Peyton, Good. we got Sperano, yes. we got Haley. Yes. Um, you got Zimmer. Yes, Zimmer. that's four. That's four. Think about Tampa Bay. Of... 
Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles. Yeah, Todd Bowles was here, huh? Wasn't he? Yeah. Was he a DB? Was he a defensive backs coach? Secondary coach. Secondary coach. Mm-hmm. We have two more to go. Two you'll more. Never, to go. You'll never. You'll never get two more. Two more to go. You, you give us hints with teams. Uh, he, yeah. Okay. One of them had a one-year stint in Cleveland. 2019. And he was a tight end coach in Dallas in 2006. Uh, I have no idea. You're going to have to help me on this yeah, one. Yeah, I can't. Okay. Freddie Kitchens. Oh, right. Okay. The last one was the Chargers coach from 17 to 20. Anthony Lynn was the running back coach from 2005 through 2006. That's so a that's lot seven of guys. Wow. Seven assistant coaches who move on to become NFL coaches. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are great assistant coaches, uh, but, you know, that, that was a stacked coaching staff. And since then, so that, that's a, the follow-up question, is since then, how many Cowboys assistants <laughs> since 2007 have become NFL head coaches? Uh, what's his name? Uh, the One. One, yeah. Eberflus. The- Eberflus. Eberflus, yes. Eberflus is the correct answer, but there are two more kind of... Uh, there's two more? There's two more. Uh, went on to... So the first one is so obvious you won't you won't uh, get it, of course. It's Jason Garrett. Oh, of uh, course, right. Yeah, yeah. Or, right. yeah. Fair he, he was promoted in the job. And uh, the third one and the final one is um, uh, Rich Bisaccia, uh, who was uh, a t- interim head coach right. of the Raiders when, uh, when Gruden was sacked. And he's still in so charge there, right? Uh, you know, in a, pardon me? He's still, he's still the Raiders coach now? No, no, no. He moved on to, I think, uh, Green Bay. He's the special oh, the, teams okay. coach in Green Bay okay. now, I think. Um, no, but that's uh, – so uh, Parcells brought in seven guys who went on to become future head coaches. And then uh, the, I think uh, back to, to uh, Rap's point, uh, the front office or the Joneses got involved in selecting some of those assistant coaches. You know, think about uh, – um, Ryan. Uh, what was the name? Hmm? Uh, Rob Ryan. Rob Ryan, but also – uh, who was that old guy we brought in as a defensive coordinator? Monty Kiffin. Uh, Monty Kiffin. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, well, anyway. Uh, so since then, it's been three. Technically, only one really made it out of the assistant ranks into a into a real NFL head coaching uh, gig, and that's Eberflus. And even he was brought in by by Rob Ryan. He was not uh, he was not a Cowboys hire, if you will. No. No. Uh, so yeah, that's a big disparity, and maybe part of the of the issue overall. Uh, uh, Maybe we just don't have the quality of assistant coaches that we often think that we do. Remember how everybody wanted, uh, what was his name, Chris Richards, uh, to become uh, the next mm-hmm. defensive coordinator yeah. or even coach? I, I'm not sure he's even in the NFL anymore. Um, I think he's a, so might be an assistant coach, a position coach somewhere. I'm trying to think. But I think he was out for for a year he before was, coming back. Was, yeah. like that. He, he didn't. He didn't get a job right away. They weren't bringing right. you know, battering down his door. I really think that that was one of the failings of the of the Garrett administration. Uh, he's a DB coach for the Saints right now. Um, so I think that was actually one of the failures of the Garrett administration was his inability to to build a coaching staff and and to to you know to build a coaching tree that bore any fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really is an indi- it really is an indictment. I mean, I think he he was he was working against his head coaches a lot of times. I, I really get the sense that there was a there were a couple of years there where. The, the season was derailed not by injuries or not by tensions, you know, among the players, but because the coaching staff couldn't get on the same page. And, um, and I think that, that is part and parcel of the ownership group and the way they, the way they approach things. I will also say one last thing about Mike McCarthy. I feel like this coaching staff and whether that's McCarthy or not is an open question. Cause as we said earlier, we don't know, but I feel like this coaching staff does a much better job of identifying role players to, in, in sort of like positions 40 through 53 on the roster or 30, 35 through 53 on the roster um, guys who can come in and they have a skill set that they can take advantage of. I, f- I feel like in cre- way, way more often. Now I look at guys who are in those, those, those roster spots. And if they come in for a couple of defensive snaps, they, they make a play, you know, they, uh, they make a play on special teams. They, they may not play a lot, but, but when they do play, 
they're asked to do something that they do well. And I, I get the sense that um, he has a lot more clarity about what he wants from the roster and has communicated that to his coaches and to the, to the scouting staff and they've gone out and found guys. So I think that the, I think this roster is deeper and it's not even necessarily that it's deeper in terms of talent. It's deeper in terms of skill set that they, that they can actually use on game days. Yeah, I agree there. And I think that's, I think that's like, I really think that on some level that's in alignment with like the ability to build um, a coaching staff. And I feel, I feel like that those were the areas where Garrett ultimately just really struggled. And, and, he, and I think that was, it, it proved his undoing in the long run that and his, you know, his cowardice. <laughs> anyway, listen, we should wrap up. We should wrap up. We, we've had you on for, uh, for plenty of time here. Um, all right, folks, if you want to, if you want to get a hold of, of, of OCC, uh, follow him on Twitter. He's at OCC 44. Um, I think he's still occasionally gracing the pages over BTB with his prevarications and pontifications. Is that true? Occasionally. Yes. Occasionally. Not often enough for, for my liking. I'll tell you that OCC. It's always a, a great time getting on and talking Cowboys football with you, my friend. Yeah. And if you stumble across one of his articles, you'd, you know, he won't waste your time. So definitely check it out for sure. Everything's a must read. It's always great talking to you. Cool one. Yeah. Thanks guys for having me. It was, it was great fun. It was great fun. Oh, it's nice. Uh, I always like talking to to OCC. He's, you know, I, I probably told you this before, but you know, when I read his stuff, uh, you know, he always injects humor into it, and I always think find that extra nice when you uh, you're reading something and you one of the writers has a nice nice little sense of humor, and uh, and OCC has that. So definitely for sure, if you um, if you ever see something that he's written, it's it's an auto read for me. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I I tend to uh, reread OCC's uh, posts and actually fr- frankly his tweets. Uh, with a very slight German accent. And I find <laughs> that it just enlivens everything for me because I, I feel like I can really channel him. And, and you're right. He has a very wry sense of humor. Um, and so uh, that accent somehow allows it to be brought out just a little bit when I'm, when I'm reading his post. Yeah. But yeah, his po- his stuff is always is always so excellent. And honestly, like the fact that he's not writing anymore is a real loss for Cowboys Nation. Yeah, that's definitely good, good, st- good stuff. He always brings good stuff. Uh, well, that is all we have for today. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe to the Blog Voice Podcast Network. Leave us a rating, write a review wherever you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher. Tell us what you think, anything you would like us to do differently to improve your podcast listening experience. And if you ever want to talk to us about anything at all, any uh, camp battles you're looking for, or what, you're, what you're looking for in the preseason game, or do you have trouble sleeping? Uh, let us know uh, what... Your latest nightmare. Uh, you can hit us up on Twitter. I'm at Danny Phantom 24 and Rabs is at Rabble Rouser, spelled R-A-B-B-L-E-R-O-U-S-R. And don't forget to check out all the great podcasts throughout the entire week. Every day we got something new for you. Tomorrow we'll have the world's team with Meg Murray and Paul Stewart. So make sure to check that out. But that is all we have for today. Thanks for hanging out with us. Hope you have a great weekend. Stay safe, stay happy, stay true to the silver and blue. We will catch you later. Last dismiss. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.